Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. It's Shegulola Salami, and it's the Shegulola Salami Show. It's a podcast show set in a virtual cafe. Um, I've been thinking I haven't done any baking in a really long time. Um, the last time I did any was I attempted to make a dragon 3D um, cake, and that was just a disaster for several reasons. Anyways, I'm not going to bore you about that. Um, so, yes, I've been really craving baking, so maybe tonight, no, maybe tomorrow, I might do that. So I'm just randomly telling you what's going on in my head right now. But anywho, you know, who have we got here today? I, I'm Sarah Daman. I'm a stateside and uh, I am here as an author and as uh, a coppersmith. As far as I know, I'm the only uh, woman who in America who makes copper cookware. Um, so I write fiction books and nonfiction books. And uh, since you're into baking, I'm sure we're going to talk about lots of uh, cookware, which excites me. And um, uh, since we're here, I'm, I'm going to grab my usual, which is the biggest latte they make. Fabulous. And what would you like with your latte? Oh man, I, I can't do carbs. I gotta stay, you know, trim and fit to chase my kids. Um, no, you oh, know well, what? That's the um, reason why you need carbs, though. You need the energy to chase them. <laughs> no, I, you know what? I'll save my carbs for, for alcohol because, um, you know, I live in Wisconsin. You know, Milwaukee is the beer capital of America. So I'll save that for my, my Friday night. Uh, carbs will be drunk later. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> I need it after a day with kids. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. You know what? I don't actually drink myself. I never, I think alcohol is an acquired taste and I never acquired that taste. All my friends try to, you know, they introduce me to different types. I take a sip and I'm like, eh. Um, so I actually never got into it. But then since having my daughter, right, because I don't actually find any pleasure in drinking alcohol, I sit down some days when I've had a really difficult day and I imagine myself that I'm having a drink and I'm like, you know what, it's a good thing that I don't drink though because I probably would become an alcoholic <laughs> because I just imagine myself drinking a lot of the time. And in uh, the UK, yeah. Seriously, yeah. and in the UK, right, so I don't know if it's, I don't know why, but in a lot of the mummy groups that I am in on Facebook, like local mummy groups, right? They seem mm-hmm. to have this thing for um, gin. So it's like every time it's like it's gin Friday. And I'm like, seriously, do moms just drink all the time? <laughs> yeah, here it's wine. I mean, they, 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 they'll say, you know, there's a whole bunch of things about, you know, I drink wine because children. Like it's, a, it's more wine than gin. People aren't big gin, gin drinkers here. If they do drink hard alcohol, it's whiskey usually or brandy. Hmm. Not not a lot of gin gin takers around here. That's quite interesting. But yeah, so for some reason, it's like gin and tonic. It seems to make the rounds among the local mommy groups that I'm in. It's like literally everyone just goes and just, they seem to just worship gin and tonic, right? So I just imagine myself, I'm like, should I even give it a try and just say, you know, I'm an honorary mommy and I, you know, I drink gin and tonic. And yeah, because children, seriously, you love yeah. your child, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> kids. Kids equal alcohol. We're not, you know, saying you should drink if you have children, of course, but it helps on certain days when when it's just a little too much. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm more mellow. I had one drink and now I can handle the chaos in front of me. So mm. much better. I'm a nicer mom now. But anyway. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. So so coffee. Okay. Yes. Okay. So tell me about yourself. Other than being a mom. Other than being a mom. Um, so, you know, we were talking earlier a little bit about how, you know, we have to divide our days so much, um, you know, based on on our lives as moms and as workers and as writers. Um, I I write uh, novels. I write historical fiction novels, adult, adult, you know, not, they're, they're um, they, I mean, I guess they could work for young adults too. And, um, and I also write nonfiction on cookware because I make cookware in my garage. So, Tell me about that. That sounds quite interesting. Right. Well, it started, so I was writing fiction books. And as I was researching the books, I um, started to realize that a lot of what I was talking about in historical Western America was no longer available in America. No one was making it anymore. So I started to uh, think about making my own cookware line and I decided one day to just do it. And I just started making phone calls and I was like, hi, I want to make cookware. And people were like, that's great. We don't do that anymore. Interesting. <laughs> so, so it was like piecing together these lost arts and people who could help train me and, um, or, or make what I wanted to be made again. And they didn't know how to make it. So they had to relearn how to make it. And, um, and you know, I, I met a, a Smith, Bob Bartlemy, and that's actually where I am right now. I'm at his tin shop. And um, he took me under his wing as an apprentice. So I learned how to build cookware with like two to 300 year old tools and reproduction ware so that I could make the cookware myself in my garage. And then I wrote a fiction, a nonfiction book on the history and science and use of cookware. So it's very cyclical and sort of incestual, but it all has a very, you know, direct path that links to each other. Um, but it's super fun. It's crazy. Um, Did you say incestual? Kind of, yeah, because everything kind of bleeds into each other. Right. I mean, the fiction books are part of the cookware and the cookware is part of the nonfiction books, but you can't talk about that without talking about the fiction books first. It's just, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'm not swearing, but yes, it's incestual. Okay, see, now I'm just trying to imagine your garage and you, and I just can't picture it. So how do you do it? Like how much equipment do you have? How much output do you make? Like, just, I'm just intrigued now. <laughs> uh, I took over an entire stall of the garage. It is no longer usable for anything but my shop. And I have a lot of giant tools and a lot of really old tools that you can't find anymore. You have to like search for them um, like on eBay and hope to God you find one that's not broken because it's 250 years old. Um, and I can, I'm, I make a lot of new cookware or I get a lot of people who send me like Georgian era, like 1770s pieces that need to be completely refurbished and fixed. So they're usable again. And, uh, and yeah, it's crazy. It's like, there's chaos. I generally get hurt every day <laughs> and, and then I go in and I use my burned fingers to type a book. 
So interesting. It's, 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 it's fun. It's a lot of, um, it's learning every day. Every day is a challenge. Every day is a freak out moment. Hmm. So tell me the process of making cookware. Um, well, I read books. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I know you read books. What do you start off with? Do you start off with tin, pure tin? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so first I will decide the design I want to do. And if it's something that I want to kind of mass produce instead of one at a, like, like completely handmade, then, um, I work with these guys who have a CNC machine and they will spin. What's a CNC machine? I don't know. It's a CNC machine. No, I, it's, a, <laughs> and I, it's a giant machine that you need a warehouse. It's, it's a, like a computer. It's a spinning machine. Basically. You're just like me, right? I have this machine. It does something, but I don't, yeah. I don't know how it does it. It just does what I want it to do. It's a confusing machine that does what I need it to. So who cares? Um, it's, but basically it's like an automatic um, machine where I can put a design into a computer program and the computer will tell the machine to spin um, the tooling a certain way to make the shape that I want made. And, um, and then those are just like the blanks, like they're like a pot blank. It's just like an empty pot that's made out of copper. And then I, I take them to my garage and I start drilling holes in them and I have to get handles made. And then I drill the handles out and I got to rivet them together. And then I have to sit over fires and hand wipe tin on the inside of the copper and then polish and clean and everything. And eventually there's a piece of cookware that someone can use that'll last, you know, 5,000 years because copper doesn't rust. So it's, it's pretty cool, but it's like, it's, it's a process and it's kind of a lot of power tools. Wow. You are a very Wonder Woman type woman now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, because I'm really bad at math and I don't know what a CNC machine is. So clearly I'm not Wonder Woman. <laughs> no, seriously, right? You're underselling yourself or you're underestimating yourself though, because you're basically doing stuff that nobody else or no other woman in all of America is doing. That's number one, right? And you've literally gone and you've done research and it's easy for people to say they want to do something, but not everybody actually goes and does it, right? So you're doing stuff, right? Because I just feel like, and I, anytime I see a woman who's doing something amazing, I have to tell her she's doing something amazing, you know, because we women, apparently we don't praise ourselves enough. So, you know, we're going to have a bit of estrogen moment, you know, where I'm just going to give you lots of praise, right? Um, okay. So you're doing, you know, if, I almost feel like I should come into your workshop and learn and see how this thing, you know, how you do what you do. In fact, you should have like school tours, right? And inspire all the little girls to come and see what you do. Yeah, no, I do it on a very small level. Um, uh, you know, one at a time, I do get people that come into the shop and I have a YouTube channel that is mostly a bunch of tool guys and they're like, oh, I love your conductor steak. It's so cool. I have a, I have a blowhorn steak and I need more. Like, it's mostly guys who are like way into it. They're like, can I use killed acid flux, do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. But, um <laughs> <laughs> like it's very technical. Um, but yeah, we do a lot with the, the scouts here. We have Boy Scouts of America and my hope is um, to get more people to see what it is. We, and we do reenactments. I don't know. Do you guys do that over there? Do you do like historical reenactments? Possibly they do. Um, I've okay. not been to one. 
Okay. Well, in, in, in America, we have them for every like war. So there's revolutionary war and civil war and, and, you know, French and Indian war and all the wars and everybody. Ah, I think I know what you mean. No, I've not seen that that here. No. Okay. Well, in America, they also have it for the fur trade era. And so that's, you know, when everybody came here and tried to kill every animal for their furs and make hats (laughs) and come back to England and (laughs) no judgment. And I, um, uh, so I reenact for that and I get to do it like it, you know, I get to dress up and I have all the old tools and I, I we get thousands of school children that come through and they get to be hands on and learn and ask questions and, and they're really engaged. It's exciting and fun to watch. So eventually, hopefully more people pick this up, but right now there's not that many at all. Okay. Okay. No, that's, that's fine. Um, yeah. So you, this interesting woman, I have to, you know, I have to go on your YouTube channel. What's your channel called? It's just House Copper. You, I think you should just be able to go to the, like, because that's my company. Um, and I, um, as a, like, as a single person, you should just be able to say house, like a house and copper. Um, and you should be able to find it on, on you know, or House Copper and Cookware might be a better one. But if you can find it. Let me go on Google. Um, no, no, let me go on YouTube and I will tell you. So if I just type in house copper. Yeah, or house copper and cookware probably will bring you up to YouTube. Okay, so house copper and, oh, that's actually one of the suggestions. Okay, let's see. So you've got, ah, I can see you. Um, you've got blonde hair? Yes. Yes, and you've got pigtails as well. I know I do. Well, I have to be practical. If I don't, if I wear my hair too pretty, like I burn the ends off over the fires. <laughs> okay. No. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so you've got, well, let me see how copper separates then tinning, copper, cookware, process, and visual cooking in tin lead or stainless tin steel lead copper cookware oh your type channel sounds very interesting i almost feel like i should have some of your cookware now you probably should you should come over here and you should make it and then take it home (laughs) (laughs) i'm a very frugal mom right i think that would be a very expensive cookware (laughs) well but it will last forever and you you're going to pass it down to your daughter. So if you do the math, it's way, way cheaper than constantly buying stuff that you're going to have to, you know, throw in the, in the rubbish heap at some point because it fails. I mean, that's the beauty of this. That's why I can fix copper that's 300 years old because it's always refurbishable. So I see what you mean. I see what you mean. But then, so how much abuse can it take though? A lot. It really can, even if you if you rev it up super high and you don't put any food in it and you just burn it out and you melt the tin on the inside, which is hard to do. Um, it must mean you're really abusing it. Then you just like like heat it back up again and take a piece of cotton and swirl it all back and it looks nice and you can keep using it. I mean, it, that's why people still dig up copper artifacts that are like six, seven thousand years old. It's still like it doesn't. It, it doesn't rust so it can take quite a bit of abuse see because i'm just thinking right like when i'm making something maybe something gets burnt or not that i always burn food but you know what i mean right and i get my scouring sponge right and then you know that just gives it so how likely is that to 
um, damage it? Is it possible to damage it with scouring well, sponge? You can, you'll scratch, you'll scratch the tin, but tin is nonstick. Right. So it takes a lot to, to burn something onto it. And really, even if you, you overcook something on tin line copper, if you just throw some water in there and let it sit for a handful of minutes, you should be able to go in with a soft cloth and it all just falls out. I mean, you can make caramels in this and it just falls out. Ah, that's interesting. It's nature's Teflon. Mm. Okay. Okay. Now I've met, I, I guess you're one of the most interesting women I've come across in recent times. Not that the other women on the show haven't been interesting, but you're <laughs> like, it's just when I see someone who's really hands-on because I like being hands-on and I don't get a lot of time to be hands-on. So I just find you quite exciting. Okay. Oh, thanks. Right. Well, I'll have, to, I'll have to come see you or I think we're going to come over um, in, in, uh, in the, in 2019 with the kids and take them around. We used to, my husband and I used to live in London and um, we've got a lot of friends in, um, in Wales and I've got a, there's a tinsmith in Cornwall I want to visit and um, you know, maybe we'll, we'll have to get together. Yes, please. No, do you line whenever you come around. Yeah, for sure. Okay, good. So tell me about your books again. So let's, let's not bore people because, you know, we get excited about, you know, I'm sure people are thinking, how can two people be so excited about cookware? Because it is cool. It's so, um, it, it links, the thing about cookware, and I will get to the books, but the thing about cookware is it links humanity. Everybody eats, everybody yeah. cooks. Everybody eats what is cooked. So even if you never cook in your life, somebody's using a pot somewhere to make your meal. And it is one of the first things we started to do to really cultivate our cultures and, and keep us from being nomadic. I mean, we didn't really make cookware till we became stationary or were able to be stationary. And, and it really started to change how we interacted as communities of human humans. And, um, and it's, it's something that, combines us. I mean, every culture has pottery shards. Every, po every culture, you know, has worked in metals. And I think that it's a unifying thing as well as the food portion of it. And, and it's a conversation we aren't having like we are about our food. Hmm. Um, you know, everyone cares where their food comes from and where it was made and if it's sustainable. And no one is asking the same questions about our cookware. And I think we should. But anyway, so the, the book on cookware is um, going to be out in 2020. It's not out yet because it just got bought by William Morrow HarperCollins in New York. Mm. And so very exciting because it's a, a very big publisher, but their lead time is quite long. And, um, uh, but it hopefully will be uh, something that people can understand. They will be able to read, you know, where our copper and our iron and our our stoneware, our pottery comes from historically, how it got to where we are today, how it's made, um, how it performs on our stoves. Like why does copper do this and cast iron do that? And you know how it interacts with our food and how we can take care of it so we can pass it on to our kids. And that's the kind of the underlying, you know, heirloom mentality of the book. Um, so it'll be really exciting. I'm excited that they're going to use really beautiful photos and um, there'll be recipes from chefs. So like a cookbook companion book, maybe. Okay. Okay. That's, that's quite interesting. So how did you land your publisher? Um, my, I have an agent 
um, which I got by a totally convoluted way. And this is something, and I know a lot of what you guys talk about on here are, you know, for self-published authors or, or authors who are in the, in the writing business. And I, 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 I landed my agent in a very unorthodox way. And it's, it supports the idea that you should always network and you should always be open to where things will take you. And I had a, I had an agent and a publisher for a very short time, a handful of months, and they were um, very bad. They, um, you know, there are people out there who will try and take advantage of authors because everybody's so hungry to get their words out there. And they were, um, they were not good people. And so I was able to get out of my contracts with them. But in the meantime, I was on Instagram. I had networked with a chef on Instagram. We decided to get together and do some, some collaborations while we were doing that. She's like, Oh, you, you know, you, you're doing X, Y, Z. You should meet my aunt. She's a director and a producer. So I said, great. And we met the next day. And then we just kind of kept in touch and I sent her my, my writing. And then she's like, you know, you should, if you ever get around to it, you should contact my friend. I, I see at the gym, she's an agent. So I did out of the blue and I'm like, Hey, I have these books and she's like, great, let's talk. And that was it. And I got an agent. Nice. So it, it's very much kind of being in the right place at the right time in front of the right agent. But it's also, you, you know, that was, you know, three people to get to that agent before I could even really have an introduction to her. Um, so it's very like, if you, you know, Go to conferences, writing conferences, meet with agents, look them up ahead of time, um, weird things, you know, like, oh, I love their photo. They have great red lipstick and then send them an email and be like, all I'm saying is I love your photo with your lipstick. I can never wear that color. And then when you meet them months later, you can be like, hey, I was that weird person that sent you that email about your red <laughs> lipstick. And they're like, oh my gosh, yes. And then you have a conversation. So it, it's, it's being unorthodox helps if that makes sense no it definitely does it definitely does okay so if so how long have you been um which came first i think you, you said your fiction books came first right yes yes and you started you know making your how you started then you set up your company house of copperware yes then you did your nonfiction. yes okay so i've got the timeline in my yeah. head so yes. if you could, so how long have you been, when, so how long has it been since you published your first book? Uh, I self-published my first book back in 2014. Okay. Um, and, and then since then it's gotten pulled and re-edited and re republished and then pulled and now it'll be relisted with the new fiction publisher so it's gone through so many renditions it's mm. kind of dizzying <laughs> you know but yeah it's 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 very you never know again where things are going to take you and just be open to trying anything and meeting anybody because that that first book is the reason I'm here you know everything fed off of that yeah okay so questions right that I'm quite curious about when you got your agent, did you have to pay her 
Um, if so, can you give us a rough ballpark figure of what someone who is hoping to get an agent can expect to pay realistically? Then that's number one. And then number two, because you're now with this, you know, big fancy, you know, traditional publisher, um, did they give you a nice big fat check? Um, and what are your expectations or what do you think you're going to be getting out of working with a publisher and then question three because again i've got mobby brain so i have to spit everything out before i forget question three how would you compare self-publishing and working with a publisher now would you do anything differently if you could go back in time would you still self-publish or would you not all right i will go through these linearly i uh, i do not pay my agent up front my agent oh. does not get paid until she sells my books Perfect. So she, uh, now that this, the nonfiction book has sold, she will get paid off of that contract. And the standard here in the States is 15% for domestic and 10% for any foreign sales. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, she will make a percentage of whatever I make forever on this, on these books, whatever she sells. Okay. Um, yes, I, 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 it, I'm getting a nice big fat advance check. Um, and it comes in pieces though, um, because you know, some of it's on signing and some of it's on delivery and some of it's on when the book is published. So it's spread out and you know, it goes through my agent first. She takes her cut and then cuts me a check. So it's, you know, it's n not a celebrity deal by any means, but it really helps us pay the bills <laughs> for, for a year or so. Um, and, um, and then, uh, lastly, um, self publishing is a totally different animal, mm. um, than traditional first thing, obviously you make more, um, you know, my fiction deals I get, um, a, a, they did not give me an advance for my fiction with my press, which is actually based in Canada. Um, but I get a larger percentage of the sales. Mm. Um, I will not make very much per book with the traditional deal that I have for my nonfiction. Um, they just, they have an, they have a bigger overhead they have to cover before they can start cutting me money per book sale. Um, and, but, and self, so self-publishing, you make more per book sale and you have so much more control over everything. But with that control comes so much more responsibility. Mm. And um, it's more work in that you have to do everything yourself unless you're successful enough to have an assistant. I know many self-publishers who are successful enough that they can pay a full-time assistant and still write full-time. It's mm. I, I have no idea how they do it. I never <laughs> that out. <laughs> um, but they, but also, um, you know, with, with the machine of the big publisher, I don't, I don't have to worry as much, but then I worry like, are they doing enough? Are they going to do enough promotion or am I just a number? Am I one of a thousand authors they have to work on? You know, do I have to push harder to be heard or to get my ideas that I want to do? Um, you know, what am I allowed, not allowed to do if I want to do extra promotions? There's, there's, you know, the more cooks you get in the kitchen, sometimes it's, it's, it, it is just as hard in a different way to do things as an author as when you're self-published and doing it by yourself and you don't have help and you don't mm. have resources. So it's, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough gig. I don't know why we write. Why do we write? 
because we're crazy people. Well, I can speak for myself. I feel like I feel like if if someone then said, "Oh, you know what? Let us assess your mental capacity," right? And then I feel like I'm going to say, "Why do you write?" Because I hear voices in my head. I feel like I'm going to be certified and just put in a white room with you know with straps around me and just kept somewhere. Probably we would be, especially if they started to ask us questions about you know what we're researching especially people who write you know true crime novels or, or yes. no or if they're going to search your browser history right that would be- yeah 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 it's like the big joke like oh i'm on about a thousand watch lists because i've been researching arsenic poisoning and <laughs> but yeah i don't know you know this this day and age it's it's so easy to press a button and self-publish but i think we really need to be cognizant of what that means and what what it entails to do so because it's so much more work than people realize when they first start to self-publish on the different platforms. Yes. Um, I mean, it is a business. It's a hard business. And anybody who's ever even touched publishing or self-publishing or anything like that, they should be commended because it is a, a, a gigantic task they're putting in front of themselves to try and accomplish. And any step along that way that you accomplish should be applauded because it's hard. It is. It is. Well, what I'm going to say though, is when you become the next J.K. Rowling, right. And you know, you're out there ah. you say to everyone that, you know, at one stage, you know, before you became famous, you were on the Shagilala Salami show. <laughs> I'll, we'll come back and talk again if anything happens. We'll see. I'm working, um, working with a company in the States, uh, Dawn's Light Media, and um, they've, uh, they've optioned the, the, the rights to make my life into an unscripted TV show. Isn't that? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. See, that's why I say, right, you're like Wonder Woman. Oh, no, I just... How did you get that? How did you get that to happen? Networking again. It's all networking, just being open to talking to people. I met um, one of the the, the co-owners of the media company um, at a a conference, and I had no idea who he was. He just happened to be standing next to me in one of the conference presentations, and I just started talking to him like he's a normal human being, and then later found out what what his job was and what he did, and I was like, Oh, <laughs> but you, you, you never know. I mean, you just, you, you, you know, you never know who you're going to meet. And I always think, you know, and this is very hard for me sometimes on these shows to talk about everything I'm doing because my, my reaction is always to inherently keep my, what I do very succinct and very tight. Um, a lot of authors out there, and I think self-published authors, this is a tip for them. When you get asked, what are you writing? A lot of self-published authors will launch into a 10-minute thing on what they're writing and they get into the details and the characters. And it's like, I just needed a genre. I didn't need the full plot line. And, <laughs> you know, and, and they just go on and on about what, because they're passionate and excited about it. Hmm. But you well, lose it's not every day you get someone who's interested in hearing you talk, right? So most right. of the time you're talking to the characters in your head and you're looking for an opportunity to actually have a conversation with an actual human being. Exactly, exactly. But at the same time, I mean, 
that that's less memorable than being extremely succinct and then turning it around and the person you're talking to ask questions about them, ask questions about what they write, ask questions about what they're working on um, and really start to list, actively listen and pay attention because what you're doing then, even though you're not talking about yourself, you're forging a relationship with them that's going to pay off later because they're going to remember that they, you know, they were talking to you and you listen, they're going to tell you deep, dark secrets because you listen, they are going to, you're going to, you're going to have a relationship that you didn't have before. And that's going to pay off longer and later than if you spilled your story guts. So whenever I go to conferences, if people ask, what do you write? I just say historical Western fiction. What are you working on? I never talk about the book titles. I don't go into the plot lines. Not unless I have to, or I'm doing something like this with an interview and we can dive a little more. It's not, it's in your best interest to learn everything about everybody else at that conference than talk about yourself. Yes. I totally agree. So. Okay. So <clears throat> I was going to ask you now, right? Maybe it's just me who does not seem to have time, but you've got three young children, you, you write books, you've got a business. How do you make time to go to conferences? Um, I go to them and while I'm at them, I'm writing. So that helps. Um, and in this day and age, I can run so much of my business from my computer and my phone. Um, you know, it's phone calls, it's conference calls. I, I will take conference calls with investors while I'm walking down a street in New York. You know, I, you just, you have to be very flexible with your time. And um, the only thing I can't do when I'm traveling is build cookware. So those orders have to kind of get put on hold for those days I'm gone. But otherwise I don't sleep a lot. I don't yeah. know. I'm sure you feel the same way with your, your, your family life. I mean, the, the, if something's going to give, it's your sleep, right? <laughs> it is. It is. You know, people ask me the, t the same question and they go, how do you make time to do everything? And I don't think I'm anywhere near as busy as you are. Um, I only have one child and you've got three and I don't have a cookware business. But mm -hmm. I say to them, right, whilst everybody else is out there sleeping, I'm still awake. So most days I'm up to like 3 a.m. doing my writing because, you know, in addition to being an author, a blogger, a podcaster, I am a freelance writer. Um, I specialize in medical writing. So I'm up there, you know, you know up at 3 a.m. and I'm writing medical articles. Um, so I don't get much sleep. And then I'm up, you know, whenever my daughter comes and, you know, wakes up and, you know, we sort of start our day. And then I'm literally just blitzing through and doing lots of mommy things. And then I'm stuck again when she's at bed and I'm then doing more, you know, more writing. So yeah. I don't even get the chance to go and network because I'm in front of a computer most of my time writing. Um, yeah, so that's why I was thinking, oh, maybe I could learn something from you on how to... Um, you know, to get the chance to go to conferences, but it's all good. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And I think if I, if we're, if we're allowed to, we'll probably spend the next two hours just chatting because you're like this really interesting person to talk to. You see, for me, it's like, it's always nice to have adult conversations because my life is surrounded by my child all the time. I'm either having mommy talk, you know, cook talk because, you know, it's about food and my life literally just surrounds around my daughter. So it's like, it's just really nice to have an adult conversation. <laughs> you know, when you, you work from a computer and you work from home, right? Literally, your yeah. life is just in front oh, yeah. of a computer. 
I, I hear you. I hear you. That's why, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, with a conference, man, yes, it's a sacrifice from your job with your writing, but, um, but it's an investment and it's a worthy investment. Even if it's one day, if you go to a writing conference and you go in for just one of the days of the three or something, it is worth it. It's an investment in your future and yourself and your writing career. And, and I think, you know, everybody's worth that. Yes. No, definitely. I think this 2019 is stuff that I'm going to definitely, because I always look at, um, for me, I don't have like a new year resolution per se. I always think, okay, this year, what can, what actionable points can I be doing? What can I be focusing on differently? So it's not a, oh, I need to lose weight or I need, no, it's like, I always think, how can I make this year better than last year? So I think, you know, just, I will now make that conscious effort that even if it's only one, I will try to attend one networking event this 2019. I think that's a good resolution. I think it's a great one. Yes. Okay. So how can people connect with you if they want to? I mean, you talked about your YouTube channel before, but um, how are the, what other ways can people connect with you if they want to find out more about what you do? Sure. They can um, just go to, you know, housecopper.com um, or they can go to, to my writing website, which is Sarah, S-A-R-A, Domen, D as in dog, A-H-M-E-N, SarahDomen.com. Um, those two websites, or they can find me on Instagram. I mean, it's very, very easy for it, Instagram because it's, you know, at House Copper or <laughs> at Sarah under slash Domen. It's, it's, you know, just one of those, just Google it and probably you'll find me. There's not a lot of Sarah Domens in the world, thankfully. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'd love to, you know, if people let me know that they, they heard me, you know, here and I'm always happy to answer questions about cookware and as well as writing, but cookware, you know, since that's usually what I get, a lot of people ask about that, but um, it's been really fun. This is great. It's nice to hear the accent again. It's been too many, too many years <laughs> since I lived there and, and heard it. <laughs> well thank you thank you thank you well it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and when you have your show and when your book is out and you're literally the next big thing please do tell everyone about you know the Shekel Ola Salami show and do come back hopefully you're not going to forget me I will not forget you at all perfect well everyone you see um you've heard the upcoming Sarah Darman um she does cookware she's an author she's a mother she does all these amazing things you know so please do go get check her website out um and until next time it is the Shagilola Salami show um and I will catch you again bye now with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.